What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli coming at you with another NBA team look ahead for the 22-23 NBA season. We're on to the Spurs, which means it's that time of year. Paul Garcia, the host of Spurs Cast, and also he's an NBA writer over at Project Spurs. He's back to talk Spurs. I think this is the fourth consecutive year he's done the look ahead with us, so we thank him for coming back and listening to me ramble. Follow him on Twitter, if you do not already, at Paul Garcia NBA. That's at P-A-U-L-G-A-R-C-I-A-N-B-A. And you can follow the Spurs cast. That's on Twitter, at the Spurs cast, spelled exactly once again as it sounds. Paul, the most important question I will ask you on this podcast, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, how are you, how are you, hopefully everything's well where you're at, too. I am spectacular. Look, it's, it's still preseason, so everyone is in the best shape of their lives, gained muscle, lost body fat. Every team's going to hit the over. So I'm I'm very optimistic. We have not had a chance to talk, though, uh, since the DeJounte Murray trade. And so I'm just wondering, there's a twofold question here, is what were your overall impressions of the actual return and of this organization's decision to be like, oh, we're actually rebuilding now? I think as far as the return, I mean, the fact that they got, um, you know, multiple first round picks is a good thing. That's what you want if you're going to, if you're going to remove, if you're going to move your all-star in DeJounte Murray. So I think, you know, I think the, the package is good for what they got back. As far as the, the the actual franchise, you know, saying, okay, it's time to tank, you know, it's time to, you know, start rebuilding in full. That was a little surprising just because they've kind of hesitated the last few years. Uh, again, we know that ever since the Kawhi Leonard trade, they, they haven't been a championship contender, but they were kind of floating in that like playing range the last two to four years with LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan over the time. And then even last year with DeJounte, they still became a, with, uh, they still became a um, playing team, but this is the year that they've finally said, you know, it's time to to basically reset and just try to try to grow this young group and basically try to land the number one pick is what it looks like. Yeah, I'm. I think it, I just think it was the right time. Dejounte Murray is a, is a an all star level player, but he's sub cornerstone for a could be title contender, and that kind of puts you if you don't have a player on your roster who might turn out to be better than Dejounte Murray, it kind of pegs you to the sub middle or the middle and it i think it's tough to stomach but it was time to just be like hey we need to really just like commit to the reset that we never did post Kawhi. yeah no i 100 agree and that's that's the thing like they could have kept DeJounte another year and just like you said you know been like fighting for like that that, that playing spot again um and now you know they're giving themselves a chance to not rebuild through free agency but try to rebuild through the draft and this is what they have to do is try to hit on these young players that they that they, they just drafted but then also try to hope hope to get you know the number one pick here in, the, in this year's coming draft if they end up with one of the worst records in the league yeah and the other thing here too is just the market for star level players is so robust right now when you're trading for them i would imagine it stays that way unless we get to a point where it's more incentivized for players to reach free agency uh, but given how much Rico Bear got and then Donovan Mitchell later on uh, there, and how other star trades have panned out, you might as well sell high because we also knew DeJounte wasn't going to sign an extension because his salary was artificially repressed by yes. the first extension he signed. And so rather than wait for the free agency stuff to play out to where do we think he's a max player and he's probably not a max player, you sold at probably the peak of his value because he had multiple years left on his deal. And again, just given what the star market is right now, I would say maybe these teams like in Atlanta, Cleveland, and Minnesota, if it goes belly up or something, maybe we don't see small markets be as aggressive as we've just seen them be. And so I think that was also probably part of the calculus and a smart way to look at it at that. For sure, for sure. I agree there. Uh, I've asked this to a bunch of people now since the trade, though. Are there any implications to this for Pop to where 
well, if they would rebuild, does it suggest that he'll stick around longer or does he just enjoy the developmental process so much that he could still have fun losing and then just leave on a whim? So this one's interesting because yes, he definitely enjoy. I just feel like he's just he's just he's just in a better mood all the time now. With the, even though they're, you know they're having they're not having a great season, he just he likes that part of like getting back to his co- when he was a college coach of kind of just taking a team out of nowhere and just trying to uh, just develop those players. Yes, they may not have a great record by the end of the year, but at least he's going to see growth um, in the in the individual players. So what's interesting though about you know finally seeing it when whenever he's going to retire is the fact that in his um, training camp and then also just in the, in the first preseason game, he's mentioned these weird comments where he's trying to say. I'm, I'm building these players up. I'm trying to, to, to help them grow for the next coach who's going to take them over. Now, he doesn't say what year that is. You know, could it be next year? Could it be two years from now? But his whole thing is he keeps continuing to say this in training camp is uh, I want to make sure guys are, are, you know, have the best development they can, the, the most professional, you know, you know growth pro- process in these next few years uh, so that the next coach that gets them gets players who are ready to, you know, contribute now. So, it, so, it's, so he's definitely finally saying that there's going to be an end here for him where he's going to eventually retire. Now, again, I don't know when, if that's next year. If it's two years from now, we don't know that. But the fact that he's actually saying openly, I want to get th- these players ready for the next coach is, is something very interesting that he's never said before in his career. As someone who cannot cope well with change, I was just kind of hoping that because they re- rebuilt and he was still there, that maybe this meant we'd get like an extra year. Like, it, yo, he's going to be around for at least two more years. But I tend to just agree with you. But that was my hope. I was like, hey, they've tried to make it. So they were trying trying to compete with, you know, the end of Popovich's tenure. And now they're not. But he does seem to just be rejuvenated over the past couple seasons. Yeah, it's going it, to, it, this the thing is going to be like, I think for him too, trying to find like that, that mark of like, how do you like criticize them when you know they're like not only supposed to win like 20 games? Like, cause I could even tell like by his, his press conference the other day when they lost to Houston, he like kind of gave his normal pop kind of remarks, you know, the team played poor, no physicality. And that's, no, so that's normally something you do when you have like Tim Duncan and you know, Kawhi and Mongeli. But now it's going to be different because he has to also figure out, you know, how do I, you know, you know work with them, you know, providing them um, constructive criticism, I would say, in a different way. So even him, I think it's going to be a different bit of a process knowing that the expectations are very low for these for this team. I was shocked at the initial timetable for return on Keldon Johnson, just as someone who has dislocated his shoulder before and how long it took me to recover. Granted, I did not have the world-class medical expertise that I'm sure he does, uh, but have there been any updates on his timetable for return? So um, he should be, he, he, he himself said he should be back about four to five days before the regular season even starts. And so the Spurs, I do want to note, didn't say he's out for the entire preseason. They, they continue to say in their press statements, uh, start of preseason. So he's not, I'm not hundred percent sure that he's going to be out for the entire preseason, but for now he should definitely be back by um, opening night as long as everything goes, goes through. Now, as far as why he's recovering so, so fast is because the date that the team announced that he was out, um, he actually says that that, that that injury happened three, three weeks before that. So it actually happened a while back and now we're kind of, we're maybe, we maybe got the news like in, in week three or week four. And so, um, yeah, you know, again, I, I think for sure he's going to be back for the regular season game, but I don't know about the, um, the, the final preseason game. I'm, I'm still impressed even with that delay in, in reporting because I'm just like, it took me forever to recover from my dislocated shoulder. I would have be young again. Uh, but so the four-year $68 million extension can get up to $74 million. I think that winds up, it feels like a steal right now, even if he doesn't change or develop dramatically as a player. But what does his development look like, or what are they going to test this year aside from, I think he's very much a player on offense anyway, where he's shown he can hit those standstill threes and he can bulldoze his way to the rim. What would be sort of the the next step? Or are they even going to give him 
And I, my guess would be yes, just because they, they lack primary creators on this team. But like, what are they going to try and explore with him on offense this year? Yeah, that's going to be the biggest test for him is, you know, how does he how does he create in the, in the half court? We're already starting to see that in that in, uh, with Devin Vassell, because this team is really going to struggle to create shots on their own. And that's where they're going to give him the, the opportunity to try, you know, try to create in the half court. What can you do with pick and roll? What can you do uh, maybe with isolation situations, dribble handoffs, those kind of things where he's going he's gonna to get to show a lot a lot more of what he can do to create for himself or others. I don't know if he has it. I haven't seen it in the past. You know, he's more like, like you said, he's more a reactionary player where he either takes that three or he just kind of bulldozes to the rim. So it's going to be new. And, and and unfortunately, because he's hurt for the preseason, we can't see his like the, the initial signs. Whereas Devin Vassell, we can start to see that because he's already started playing the preseason. So again, we're going to have to wait and see. But this is a huge test for Kelvin just because, um, like I said, there's going to be plenty of opportunity. And, and you're going to really see on, on, on nights when, when this team just has so much trouble creating the half court, they're going to re- really rely on him to try to create uh, for them. When you scale what he already does to either a better team, even if he doesn't significantly broaden his offensive horizons, that extension ends up being worth it, right? Just based oh, on yeah. what he does already. Just the fact that, yeah, the, 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 um, the salary is going to continue to increase with the cap going up a year after year. So, yeah, $18 million, $20 million is not is nothing. And then for a guy who's a really a really good three-point shooter, he was really the best three-point shooter on the team last year. And then, like we mentioned, like a player who's um, – Who's, who's able to do a little bit more in terms of um, being physical at the rim. And then uh, he's actually lost weight. He lost 20 pounds this offseason. So Pop definitely said he wants to play him more as a three than, than rather than a four like he's been doing the last few years. Oh, yeah. This team's built to get some – throw out some funky lineups, which we'll obviously get to. Uh, any So Josh Primo is one of my siren songs in the NBA, not just for the Spurs. I, I love Josh Primo. Uh, are there any updates, first of all, on when he's going to return from his MCL sprain or how long they expect him to be out overall? So no, they just like Kelvin, they expect him back for opening night of the of the regular season. So October nineteenth against Charlotte, he should be back as long as everything goes well. He's actually probably closer to getting back because um, Pop says that he's basically been practicing with the team. Uh, it's just that he can't do any kind of contact. So like they're running plays and sets and practice with him uh, as a point guard or, or you know shooting guard. I haven't seen you know the footage yet, but um, again, he's able to do that at least run the sets with them. But he just can't have any kind of physical contact work. If he gets into contact, he has to he has to step out. So he's actually closer um, just by knowing that. Uh, and then as far as like, you know, that's, that's, he's another player where we only got to see one, one, um, one or two summer league games with him. And then he, he ended up getting hurt or, or got COVID or something. Uh, and then so he gets to play in summer league, but he's one of those players who can also have a chance to kind of create for himself for others. And he has that, he has that, that playmaking uh, ability. We haven't seen it consistently enough, but again, he'll be one of those players who's going to get that opportunity this year. Do you expect him to get like a ton of leeway or experimental reps as the floor general? Or do you think that is something they might mean? more towards Trey Jones and they'll want perhaps more of just a scoring role or complimentary role from Josh Primo. No, I think they're going to definitely give him chances. Now, I don't know if he'll start, but he's going to definitely get chances to run, to run, you know, as, as the, as the point guard, whether, um, you know, to, to do a lot more because Trey, like, like I said, he kind of has like a floor already where he kind of just sets everybody up. He's more of the quarterback. He's, he's mentioned that himself. Whereas, whereas Primo, you know, he, he has that dynamic to be an aggressive scorer or to try to, you know, try to learn and try to still set up his teammates and, you know, get, get everybody in the half court offense. My, I don't know if this is a hot take because you could probably just name like eight different players on this roster, but I still think Josh Primo is already, or at least this season will be like their best option to generate shots in the half court for himself and maybe by extension others just because of what he can do himself on the ball. There's like a slipperiness and cadence to his game that I absolutely love. And it can be anarchic at times or sloppy, but, but I love it. And he's still just, he's so young. And so I've very much as someone who loves Devin Vassell and I really like Jeremy Sohn as well. I've just sort of bandied about like, does Josh Primo technically have like the highest ceiling of any prospect on this team at the moment? 
I think he does, and that's one of the reasons why they, you know, they drafted him. You know, it was for, for a lot of people last year that was, like, you know, that was a reach for the Spurs to take him. I think it was like eleven or something like that. He was supposed to see like in the either either late first round or second round, second round. And so it's because they're betting on his youth. The fact that he was only he was barely, um, you know, playing at eighteen in the NBA already, and he already got that one year of development. Now he's joining all this, these other three rookies. He's he's kind of in their same age range. And so I think that yes, he definitely has a lot more potential to to definitely like. I just I feel like what you said like, exactly right there. His skill set already with the ball in his hands is to like do different things is something already far further than what, what some of the other Spurs players can do and, and it was noticeable last year it's just that if, for him it's going to be putting it together and knowing when to to use it at the right time and how to use it against NBA defenses I asked uh, Noah Magaro George about this from Pounding the Rock earlier in the offseason uh, Trey Jones what is just the what's the skinny on him for I think people didn't necessarily understand how impactful he was for San Antonio less like maybe they heard about his squeaky clean mid-range game I was talking about I called them suave pocket passes at points but like what is the what's the skinny on Trey Jones He's just like you're you're more so classic NBA point guard where he's going to have that mid-range game like you mentioned he's able to like get into the get into the paint and kind of use his little floater uh he says he's developed his three-point shot that's something he worked on he did take like like three or four attempts in the first preseason game uh, um, and so, so that's kind of the, defensively, he's going to be there for you. He's going to be able to switch. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to try hard. He's like, I mentioned earlier, he's a, he's a good quarterback where he's going to kind of get you into your offense, but he's more so your classic, um, um, you know, kind of NBA point guard who gets everyone where they need to be, uh, rather than that, that aggressive t- type point guard too, who's either like shooting threes or trying to get to the rim only. He's just a very balanced player from, from what we've seen from him. And this is a good year for him because he has a lot of opportunity and he's on a non-guaranteed contract at the same time. I did forget that he was on a non-guaranteed contract. Wow. Uh, my guess would be that it would be shocking if he didn't stay. Yeah, so. yeah, I doubt they're going to. He's their starting partner right now. So, I, yeah, he's going to definitely probably stay. Devin Vassell, someone else whom I love on this team. Uh, I think he's just viewed as someone who's a 3 and D player, and he's gonna he's good at moving away from the ball. They did throw him more ball screens after the Derek White trade. Didn't always go well last year, but he has flashed like that in-between pull-up. Do you see a pathway to him being more of a self-creator or just a, having a broader horizon on offense? Or do you think this is someone who very much ends up being super-duper in his role but still more of a complementary player? No, no, he has to learn how to, you know, to grow in terms of creating for himself and others. And that's, that's key already, just by, just by the first preseason game, he mentioned, you know, in training camp that that's something he worked on was, was driving to the rim, was trying to get to the free throw line. So, so drawing contact. Uh, and then, you know, other players have been complimentary of him. Uh, Josh Richardson specifically says that in practice, Devin's already been like that, that, that player who, who they go to, to try to create for himself or others uh, that he's showing a lot more playmaking, uh, especially now just being a spot up shooter. And we saw that in that first preseason game that he's, he's probably one of the, one of the only ones, right. One of the only players right now who can kind of create for himself just barely though. I mean, I mean, like you said, like he gets off the screen, he'll kind of do like a little, like a little step back in the mid range. And that's something that some of these other Spurs players right now on the roster just don't have in their game. They haven't developed that. And so it's going to be very noticeable that Devin's going to be able to create a little bit more for himself than the other players on the team. And so that's where he's going to have a plenty of opportunity this year. It's just, you know, how, how well does he put it together? Cause like you said, I was kind of, I was a little disappointed that, once he became like a starter last year that he didn't quite, um, you know, move, move, move a little bit more in his progression. And, and again, I maybe because DeJounte was still playing and they had other players on the team. Kelton was had a good year. Uh, maybe, but this is definitely his start. The start to this season is going to be really big for Devin Vassell to have that opportunity. Now, I don't know if he can, can handle it, but we'll see how he does. I did think it was encouraging. He shot almost 38% on above the break threes after the Derek White trade. And he was at like 55 plus percent from one of the corners. Like it might've been, was it the left or was it the, no, it was the right corner. So, like, that's still going to be a helpful offensive player. But we've mentioned a lot about opportunity. I'm excited to see, like, all these guys that maybe you wouldn't necessarily want in these premier offensive roles to get that agency anyway, because I love some experimentation. And I guess speaking of that, 
like how before we get into like specific questions about the rookies, how much leeway are the rookies on this team going to get? Oh. Unlike most seasons, this is a big opportunity for these rookies where um, Pop even said it himself, he says he's just going to throw them in the fire, see, you know, how, how they do, you know, how can how they handle the NBA. So normally the, the route is to send the rookies to Austin. You let them get their minutes in the G League. This year, no, I, th- I could see, I could see, you know, one of those rookies either getting a starting spot or even coming immediately off the bench and being, a, you know, an impact player. Uh, in terms of the, in terms of the rotation, maybe not not being on the floor an impact player, but uh, Jeremy Sohan's an interesting player to watch. Malachi Branham, uh, Blake Westy, all three of those players are going to get minutes early on now i think it's it just depends on how they handle those minutes on of whether or not pop's going to um, keep them in the rotation or, or you know send austin so but they're going to definitely have a better chance than, than past spurs rookies i have a very important question about jeremy Sowen. is he trying to emulate dennis rodman and is the is the hair here to stay yeah, I think so. I mean, he he says that all the fans wanted that that you know bring back the Rodman throwback kind of hair color, and so he 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 did it. He just said he did it uh, right before training camp, and so um you know I don't know if it, I, I think he's going to be changing it up during the year, but but for now it's here to stay. I mean that's what that's what the fans want, and he's going to listen to the fans, so he's definitely um doing bringing that back. I fave it. I'm glad it it seems like it's here to stay. Do you have any early impressions of his game? Um, you know, aspects that you like, concerns that you have, where you want to see him develop, especially in year one. I just think that, you know, he fits that scouting profile for him uh, kind of perfectly where he's just that very um, uh, player who has a lot of versatility. Maybe he doesn't give you 20 points a night on offense, doesn't take a lot of shot attempts. But defensively, man, he's already all over the place. He can switch uh, his multiple positions. He, he for, for, for being a player who's like 6'8 to 6'10, he moves so well, um, you know, being able to with his lateral quickness. He had like three blocks in his first preseason game with a different kind of help defensive side. So he's, like I mentioned, he's able to switch. Uh, he, he is taking threes already. Um, I know that was an area where, where you're concerned about his shooting, but he made it three in his first preseason game. So again, I'm not expecting a lot from him on offense, but defensively, you can already tell Pop's going to like him. He's going to be a player that he's gonna, that he's probably out of those three rookies. I can see um so minutes out, out of them. I this was one of the reasons, among many, I was disappointed that Chip Anglin left San Antonio. Was I was imagining him working with Jeremy Sohan and thought that he could make a real difference there because I feel like. I after he was drafted because I didn't know a lot about him. I went and watched um like just a bunch of highlights from him. And it seems like he could be a very good ball mover. Is this someone that they could maybe use as a screener in certain situations and try and keep the offense moving that way? If he had like a jumper, um, I don't know how you feel about him like putting the ball in his hands and having to make like reads that way if he's putting it on the floor, but he feels like he could be a very comprehensive all around player at some point in his career. Yeah, for sure. And I think they're going to use him like what you said, they're more more um, you know, um Kind of on on slash off the ball or like dribble handoff kind of actions. Uh, maybe I don't know about running pick and roll, but kind of being involved in them a little bit more and trying to trying to trying to move the ball around. Uh, I just yeah, like, like as far as the shooting, it's going to probably just be spot ups this year for now, and then maybe just attacks at the rim. Do so. Do you have expectations, impressions for the other two rookies, uh, Blake Wesley and Malachi Branham? Uh, Branham, I can see him also being a, a rotation player very early. You know, he's, he's very, he, he's more of a half court kind of player where he's, he, he, he knows to, to hit the spot up three. He knows he's kind of has a little bit like that Vassell mid range game in his, in his game as well. He's not as aggressive going to the rim. So I could see him kind of knowing what to do the right, uh, really early on in the, in the NBA, the player who's kind of like the wild card right now to those rookies is, is Blake Wesley, where he he's very aggressive in, in how he attacks the rim, how he tries to, you know, take his, his mid range jumpers. Um, he says that, you know, he's very competitive on defense trying to, try, trying to be there, but I think it's, it, he can, sometimes be a little bit too too aggressive and, and so that might end up like you know that kind of hinders uh his performances in the games so i don't know if i don't know if um he's going to be the player i think he's going to be the player where like pop gives him minutes and then the minute he makes like two or three mistakes he's going to yank him from the uh from that game and then you know you don't see him to the next game or something like that so i think i think um uh brandon i could see as well getting more minutes rather rather than wesley but again we'll see what what, what they do as far as um, keeping trey jones and, and primo there Branham did shoot up draft boards too because of 
his ability as a shot maker. And that's something I guess this team can need, but I could also sort of imagine like Greg Popovich, like pulling like his beard hair out. If uh, like watching Branham, like really go at it because like a lot of people criticize his decision-making too. And so I was more, so I think um, Noah had also told me that he thought Blake Wesley was going to be more limited this year, um, but that they might give a long rope to uh, Branham. And like, that would be really interesting to me just from like a, a Spurs perspective to give a player like that, um, such like a long runway in year one. Yeah. So I, I know. Yeah. But like I said, like um, Branham just kind of fits like already. It, it feels like he kind of understands the NBA game a little bit more. Like he's, he's more so like, I, you know, I hate making the comp because it's almost like perfect the way he plays. It's like that Chris Middleton kind of comp, which is what he came in, what he came in with in the draft. Um, and so he very much plays like that where he's more of a reactionary player. He kind of reads the floor, sees what he needs to do first before just going and attacking. Whereas Wesley kind of just attacks first and doesn't kind of read what's, what's going on first, firsthand. I think the Spurs of last year were a shock to the situ- uh, system for many, like just basketball fans in general, because of how they played third in average offensive possession time, seventh in transition frequency, which is just like, I don't know how long since it's been since they were in the top 10 of both, but I would hazard it's been a, a long time. Given the dearth of like proven, we talked about it, playmakers and shot creators on this team, is that going to be their offensive identity again, speed, or is there like another offensive identity that can kind of shine through here? No, it's going to be all speed. I mean, they and they need that because man, they're going to struggle in the half court on offense. They they just cannot create their normal sets. Or the normal sets that they run on offense are going to get sniffed out very early by the defense. So they definitely the players have been speaking about this in in, um, in training camp where there's they're saying coaching staff is giving one through four. You get a defensive rebound, you push the pace. You know, initiate the offense immediately, get up and down the floor. So yeah, I think that we're gonna that's going to definitely be one of their their areas on offense that they're going to have to try to continue to to be one of the top teams in is uh, is a transition because like I said, once they get into the half court and the game slows down, they're going to really struggle on defense. They're just gonna it's gonna make it it's gonna be make it so tough for them uh, to score in, in the half court. So I think that uh, yeah, the the pace, the just just attacking um, constantly is going to be a, a big thing for this team again. Which means that they're probably going to be bad then, but at least they'll be entertaining. Because last year's Spurs team, I found like very watchable at least. Yeah, no, I agree there. Yeah, they're gonna have they're gonna like already you know be flying up and down the floor, shooting some threes out in the open out in the open court, uh, getting some dunks, some alley oops. But like I said, it's those off those um those those uh, transition possessions going to be really fun to watch. It's going to be when they get in whew, when they, when they get in the half court, man. Just, I mean, the Rockets are like locking them down, and that's like a bottom five team already. Imagine what's going to happen when they play a top ten defense. It's going to be a tough watch sometimes. <laughs> I do think they'll catch a lot of teams off guard with how much they like to just go even after made shots. Where it's like you look at the way, and again, I haven't seen this personnel action together, but like they inbound the ball and they're off and i think a lot of teams after they make a shot think that they're going to get more time to get their defense set yeah i don't remember which player it was i want to say it was doug mcdermott or somebody where they mentioned um one of the players in the training camp that you know the, the point of, of going and just attacking after after you get the defense rebound is just to kind of exploit mismatches as well like they just really want to just yeah. keep keep to keep that pace up and so that's that's something that one of the players mentioned i remember and so yeah they're gonna have to i mean like i said they're to do that because once the, once it, once it gets everybody gets back on the other side of the court and it gets slow again, I mean they're gonna it's hard for them to, to, to create a shot for themselves or others. Zach Collins says he feels healthy for I guess like the first time in a decade or whatever it's been. Uh, did you have any thoughts about his limited sample with the Spurs last year and how do you anticipate the team using him this year? Do they view him as a backup five? Do they view him as more of a four? Do you think he's gonna play 
a prominent role. And I think you start to look at the front court rotation. And my last question is probably dumb because the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, no, he's going to, he's going to play. Um, he, uh, he's going to be the backup five most likely, you know, again, the question is, you know, how long does Yaka Pertle stand on the team? But um, so, so yeah, he's going to be the backup five from what I saw from last year. Uh, he kind of just, you know, it looked good for him to just to be able to, to kind of just get in the games uh, defensively. He's kind of one of those drop back bigs. Um, he he, he pr- provides a presence at the rim um, uh, offensively. He's, he's more so we saw more so of his spot up shooting. Uh, if he gets like an offense rebound, he, he does those little putbacks. Uh, and so this year, you know, just already anticipating more of that spot up action in the pick and pop game. And we already saw that by him taking a few, a few threes. Uh, you, you know, you hope that he gets better defensively again, being it's more of those, one of those kind of like Jakob, he's, he's going to, he's going to struggle against guards that can shoot threes because they, they like to go under and they like to drop back on defense. But um, you know, as far as trying to be a, a presence at the rim, he'll, he'll definitely do that. And so it'll be, it'll be just good to see what he looks like in a full healthy season. And so I guess he's going to, do you expect him to have like the greenest light from three in his career? Because his attempts have always been like, he shoots threes, but like they're always just sort of low. And so do you expect the volume to tick up with the way this team is built? Yeah, I think, I think for sure he's going to get that green light to immediately, you know, you set a pitch, you, you immediately pop to three. And, and like I said, we saw that in the first preseason game. Uh, his accuracy, I don't know. I mean, the whole team is going to struggle from three. So that's something to watch. But uh, he's going to definitely, tr- I think that's going to be an area where he score and if not maybe they will give him some post-ups um, you know late in possession because they, they don't really like i said they don't have a lot of um uh players who can create for themselves or others and maybe they can use that as, as an option is trying to get zach in the post i know this isn't a sexy question and it's not even what i sent in the outline but who is the third big on this team is it going to be isaiah roby is it going to be gorgie jang do they maybe consider like so as a as a big their third big yeah so uh, as far as the third big i would say isaiah roby is is definitely um, we're already seeing him sticking out. He's get, he's getting a lot of praise from Coach Pop, which is something very rare, especially after a 30-point loss. Pop was very complimentary of him, um, saying that he has a, a wide skill set uh, in training camp. And then also after the, the loss to the Rockets, he says he played very well on both ends of the floor. He's, a, he's able to do a lot of different things. See that he's able to switch defensively. Um, he says that in OKC he was a small ball five who was kind of like their quarterback on defense as far as calling out you know different different sets and, and what the, what the offense was doing. Uh, and then we and then we've already seen with the Spurs he can have a versatile role of either being like that playing a four next to Jakob or Zach Collins like we've seen him do, or he can be a backup five to exploit mismatches such as like like traditional centers like when they play the Rockets they had Boban on the floor so that, so pop him at, uh, Roby as the five so that they can kind of pick and pop against him and just just try to get a lot more movement. So I think Roby's definitely that third big for this. One of my favorite things of the summer was when NBA Twitter was so mad at the Thunder for getting rid of Isaiah Roby. And it was just they had such a roster crunch and he's fine as like to test out as a third big. But it was just like, come on, are we really getting this upset about Isaiah Roby? Uh, I will say maybe there's a chance he's their second big by the end of the season, because my next question for you, which is why I've avoided talking about these players. I'm going to set the over under at one point five of these players remaining in San Antonio past the trade deadline. Doug McDermott, Jakob Pertle, and Josh Richardson. Are you taking the over or the under on that? I am taking the over. I think that yeah. because of where there's contract situations is on two of the players, uh, I, I think that they have to move two of them. If not, you know, what, what are you doing? You know, at least trying to get a first round pick at best, of course. Um, Pirtle has a lot more value. You know, he can definitely um, get a first round pick uh, for the Spurs. And if not, you know, Josh and, and Doug trying to get a second, um, uh, you know, definitely aiming for a first, but maybe getting a second. So the reason why I say that is because we know Josh is in the final year of his contract. So he'll, you know, he'll be a free agent next year. Jakob is also in the final year of his contract. So he'll be a free agent. So that's why I feel like, um, they do have to try to make some sort of move, um, you know, not not immediately, but s- sometime down the line before the season ends. And I think also they kind of owe it to the, to the players. The players know that, you know, this is a rebuilding situation. They're saying all the right things, but they know, you know, this is a 
the prime time of their career, and this is the time they, they can be competing for championships. So so maybe, um, you know, again, uh, I, w- I would say the over right now just because of the contract situation for Pirtle and uh, Josh Richardson. As far as McDermott, I'm not too sure unless somebody's really, really wants him on the trade on the trade market. I mean, he's still like a good shooter, and yes, I mean, he's not sure. going to, yeah, he's not going to give you anything on defense, but like he can move off the ball too. Mm-hmm. Um, two follow questions to that though. Who would be most likely to stay longer term of the three? And my gut instinct is Jakob Perto, but I've actually been told that like, and I think even it's in some of the comments that Josh Richardson, who was, by the way, splitting time with uh, uh, the Spurs and the Celtics last year, like he was, he was pretty good. Um, and I've heard that he's also just like really important to that locker room dynamic and so is there a chance that it's him is it doug mcdermott just by virtue of his contract yeah, it might be mcdermott just because of his contract but honestly pop pop has a lot of belief in Jakob, where he's saying that he's right now he's like one of their foundational pieces for, for this for this group um so maybe they could work with him on, on re-signing him and kind of keeping him for the next like trying to get him like a four-year deal and trying to keep him for like those last two years of that deal is when they really want to be good again or like trying to compete again um so maybe it's i, I would say Jakob just based on what we've seen uh but but um um Josh is definitely one of those players who they've used as a, as a locker room presence. Um, he's been foundational for helping the helping the young guys kind of being there and, and mentoring them. But like I said, he's only been here a short while. He has he has played well, but but just because of contract purposes, I would say probably Doug at this point. I've I've almost wondered though if it could. I mean, also Greg Popovich said like they were asking about the starting five, and he was like, "We have Jakob Pertl, and we'll go from there." So Jakob Pertl is the only lock in the starting five right now, which I found funny. And just because the center market gets so wonky. You could technically roll the dice to the summer if it's just cheap to keep him. He's not hurting your rebuild, and you could move him later. And so that's also why I've kind of leaned toward hit, leaned toward him as well. Excuse me. Yeah, no, no, one hundred percent agree there. And like I said, it's more so would he be willing to you know sit through another yeah. two or three years of, of you know rebuilding uh, when he's he's actually getting older? And, you know, he has his chance to be in, in the prime of his career. But like I said, uh, they really like Jakob. They've they've helped develop him since he got traded from Toronto. Um, and I think that for him. To get it for a team to ask for him, they're going to ask for a high price in terms of first-round picks that they want for him because he's a, he's a good player right now. I am obligated to ask this then. Um, the Spurs, if you're them, how many first-round picks is it taking to take on Russell Westbrook while sending out players in that process? They do have some cap space to work with, but like mm-hmm. if they're asking for Josh Richardson and then one of McDermott or Pirtle as part of that, like is Russ plus two first enough for you or does that just not get it done and you're like – we need to steer clear of this. Like you could even make it the three-player deal where it's all the veterans, uh, Richardson, uh, Pirtle, and McDermott for Russ and two first. Like, is that a deal that you consider if if you're the Spurs? I, I think I think is I think for the you have to ask for the two first. You in order to take on Westbrook's contract, they're they're going to have to ask for those two first. Uh, and then I think that to get it would probably have to be two of those players more so just to make the financials work as well. Uh, so I'd say like McDermott and Richardson is the group I've seen. If not, um, you know maybe like um, Richardson and Pirtle. So I, I just feel like if it's Pirtle, I think that's that's even higher. You need more than the two picks just because like I said, he's a really impactful player right now. Yeah, and uh, the thing I would say is that if Pirtle's involved in that deal. I like if it's all three of them, I would probably give up the two first if I'm the Lakers because I love Pirtle, even though it, look, Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center anyway. It's like the fit isn't the cleanest, but um, if Pirtle's not in there, then maybe it's like, would they do it for like one first if they're also getting off of McDermott? Uh, but they and the Pacers seem like the most, I don't want to even want to say likely, but popular Russ trade destinations at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough to, to find um, uh, trades for, for Russ and. So that's what it's going to come down to. And then that's that's actually another thing, just talking about the trades is like, if um if the Pacers start trading making trade moves, if the Jazz continue to make trade moves, do the Spurs get involved? Because they see that these teams are just going to get worse in, in the in the tanking sweepstakes. And I've also wondered if that's more uh, puts more pressure on San Antonio to move some of those veterans because then it's like, hey, you know, we might win too many games compared to you know these teams, and then all of a sudden, you know, there goes your chance at Wembyama. 
yeah, Utah, and then if Indiana does move Turner and Heald, um, plus San Antonio seem like the three teams that are most dedicated to not winning this season. Mm-hmm. And so you have to make sure that they don't out-tank you. So yeah, it's absolutely going to be a tank-off at some point, I think. We, we've talked a lot about sort of the deficit of like half-court creation on this team. Is there any other weakness on this roster that that concerns you that you're going to be looking at this season? Uh, no, mainly just like I said, they, it's going to be the offense. I think defensively, they're actually going to be okay. not not great, but they're going to be they're going to be decent just because they have a lot of like they have a lot of versatility in their front court with, with like Sohan, with Kade Bates Job, with um, uh, Isaiah Roby, and then Jakob and, and Zach. I think that's a really it's a really good foundational front, front court to be able to do different things on defense. The, the guards and wings are it's going to take them a while to learn. Uh, you know, they're a little small um, with their with their point guard situation with like Primo and Trey Jones. But I think defensively, they they have a little bit more upside as, as a team compared. It's just the offense, man. When they get in that half court, they're going to really struggle. And I just I, I don't know how they're going to you know get get good possessions against really uh, top defenses. And so you did mention their defense. They're like an underrated strength that's not being talked about either locally or nationally about about this roster, this team. Yeah. So, but, but like I said, I don't want to say because like last year, I think they were like 16th in defense, and I don't even think that they do were taken with a grain of salt because the time of the year. But post trade deadline, they were 12th. There's a lot of like noise in there, obviously, but 12th is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I, I don't think that they'll they'll do that. They won't be league average, but I think they'll they'll be like like on offense. I could see them be bottom five for sure. Whereas defense, I could see maybe being in the low twenties or like high, high, um, you know, seventeenth, eighteenth kind of range. So I think they, they have a lot more potential there. And I don't think a lot of people are seeing it because like, even like in their first preseason game, they got blown out of the water because they allowed 134 points to Houston. But it's mainly because their transition defense was so bad. It's gonna take them a while. I'm not saying it's gonna happen immediately, but once Pop puts in his system, the defense kind of stays the same, the principles there. I think that that's gonna be something that, that they're gonna they're gonna continue to grow on and they will be better by the end of the season. And I think that's gonna be one of their team strengths. Again, it won't maybe look on paper, it won't look like a great defense, but I think that that's gonna be definitely the highlight of their team is is their defense i've also kind of wondered if they could wind up being an underrated transition offense because now that they're going to police the take foul more strictly if san antonio is committed to maybe they don't they're not it doesn't seem like they're going to defend and try and generate a ton of turnovers but if they're willing to be super quick coming out of inbounds passes or just grabbing the ball through defensive rebounds and running maybe that just helps them get to the so maybe it's not even the transition offense so much as like the free throw attempt rate of the offense because of the way that the game in transition might be refereed this season. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see that now. It's actually something I'm going to monitor, but also, um, you know, the fact that in the half court, like they're going to have a tough time just generating free throw attempts. And so that's going to be good for them if, if they can take advantage of that, putting pressure on the defense, especially a lot of those, those older um, teams that, that, you know, don't want to, you know, be running up and down with these, with these young guys. Uh, that's it. Maybe they'll, they'll start doing those take fouls. So, what do you think the 10 man rotation looks like for this team? And to make it sort of more digestible, I think there's eight locks. Um, for the rotation. When you look at Trey Jones, Devin Vassell, Josh Richardson, Keldon Johnson, Jakob Pertle, Josh Primo, Jeremy Sohan, and Zach Collins, would you agree with those eight locks or do you think any of those are sort of up for debate? No, no, I, I, I agree with those those locks. Uh, I mean, Branham is the only one but again, I think that it, between him and Joe Wieskamp, that's the spot. And I think Brandon would end up uh, winning out that, that, that kind of matchup. So yeah, other than that, I, I, I see like all those players are definitely going to probably be in the rotation this year. So, and you would round out the other two, just to be clear, with um, Branham and then Zach Collins, or uh, is it, I had, uh, yeah, Doug McDermott and Branham, you think would probably be like the round out the 10 man rotation? Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to play there. Again, Branham, I don't know, I don't know if he can beat a, a Wieskamp or, you know, how much money minutes they're going to give to Wieskamp. But I think between those two players, it's going to be a battle for that, that backup, like small forward slash duty guard spot. I don't even know how to phrase this question given the direction the team is headed, but let's say it's crunch time. They're trying to win. What's the lineup they should be rolling out? And I know it's going to be matchup dependent for them, like probably more so than perhaps any other team in the league. But what would you go with right now? 
I would I would say um, uh, uh, again, this is hopefully he makes that kind of growth. Is is Josh Primo, Devin Vassell, um, Keldon Johnson? You have to have out there probably a shooter like Doug McDermott, and then you know Yakupero as, as your big, um, or maybe switch him off like Isaiah Roby if it's like a, if it's like a, a matchup where like they want to try to get get all shooting around at all five positions. But that would probably be the, the lineup right there in the crunch time. Is there a weirdo, quirky, bonkers lineup you're hoping that pop rolls out at some point this season? Yeah, some some lineups without point guards where it's just like Devin, uh, uh, Keldon Johnson, Malachi Branham, uh, Jeremy Sohan, and then like Isaiah Roby. Just like a, it's all you know six 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 to like six um no like actually like six seven to like six uh, uh nine ten and just a lot of wings and players who can switch um you know out all five positions. That would just be interesting to see. Uh, you know they have a they have some some versatility in their shooting, and then they, uh, it would just be interesting to see. Like I said, them get it up and down the floor. That would be a fun lineup to watch. Yeah, mine would be, and it's in part, I changed it because you were talking when you were talking about Branham on this podcast. Like, give me Vassell, Branham, Richardson, Keldon Johnson, and Jeremy Sohan. Let's go even smaller than what you were initially talking and just see what that looks like. And look, there's probably going to be a lot of garbage time for this team. So, so why not? Yeah, for sure. And actually, that's one of the things I'm, I'm interested in seeing too is, is Sohan at the five. That's going to be fun. I think they're going to definitely experiment with that this year. So, as we record this, their win total over under is set at 22.5. Are you smashing the over the under on that? And I was good, like, I could say, where do you think they stand in the Western Conference? But the better question might be, how many teams could you even say they're definitively better than in the West? So as far as, man, because this team always over, whenever it's a low over under, they always go over. So that's what I'm having trouble with. But based on what I've seen so far, this is going to be a really rebounding year. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to still take the over, maybe like a 23, but just barely. I'm not confident in that. Um, now, as far as uh, who are they better than the West, I, I don't see them uh, uh, better than anyone right now. But uh, if, if Houston or OKC has injuries or they start resting players, then I could see them finishing um, uh, with, the, with the worst record than the Spurs. But as far as like on a, on a night game to game basis, I don't see a team that I, I can I can say I'm confident in saying, oh, they're going to beat this team tonight. Like, I just don't see that in the West. I'm with you on pretty much everything you said. And 22.5 is just so low. And what's interesting uh, and- about the Spurs is contrary to Utah, like San Antonio might not have the guy they're planning on building around, but they have a lot of potential building blocks where Utah, it, their roster still sort of feels transient when you look at having Mike, not just Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson, but Malik Beasley's over there. I guess Jared Vanderbilt can factor in to the future, but Rudy Gay is still floating around mm-hmm. over there. And so I don't know if that necessarily, it could make the Jazz a better team, but I think it incentivizes them more to be aggressively bad to where do we see some DMPs for the vets? Do we just see them make more midseason trades than the Spurs? And I don't know that I predict the Jazz would be worse than the Spurs, but that's the team I'm watching. And of course, OKC, I think just by virtue of Chet being injured and then Shea's dealt with some stuff over the past couple of years. And I just don't have a great feel for Houston. They're like deeper on paper and they, they could be good, but they're also just so reliant on so many youngsters. Uh, it does feel sort of like that four-team cluster, Houston, OKC, Utah, and San Antonio. Those will probably be the bottom four teams in the West this year. Yeah, I 100% agree there. And, and like I said, it, it will get very interesting if, if we start seeing some of these teams start make, trading their veterans and seeing who kind of follows suit. Because, like, the thing is, like, if they, if they sneak up on a team who, who wasn't prepared for that night and they beat them, you know, you're basically uh, lowering your odds, like your, your lottery odds at the end of the day. Like, you know, you have to be very careful about that. And being coached by Coach Pop, you know, he's going to want them to give their best effort every night. And, and so they may sneak up and win teams, uh, win against some teams, like, like you mentioned there. Uh, um, so that's why I, it's hard for me to, to take that 22 and a half at the under, just because I, I can see that the principles that this team has, they're going to still do their job. And, and, you know, they may not, you know, they're going to have a terrible record, but again, they might still beat, beat that uh, 22 and a half. It's just so low. And I don't know, again, that they're going to get any worse because 
what is it doesn't there is no blowing it up anymore for them like you're not going to look at moving Keldon Johnson or Devin Vassell this season I wouldn't think anyway so if you sort of have these core players who've shown that they're still like Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson they're not super proven but they're really good NBA players um there's more like blow up potential in Indy and Utah specifically so like if those over-unders are tougher for me when looking at how low they are but I'm looking at the Spurs like 22 or fewer wins is just so low i don't think i think i'm gonna end up smashing the over on it yeah no i'm not smashing the over but i'm, I'm gonna take <laughs> over just because of i know how they how they how they play they outperform with what their expectations are uh just because of coach pop as their, as their coach and the kind of the, the philosophy that he puts into into the team is there anything or anyone i didn't ask about that you think needs to be discussed any like really hot romeo langford takes that you're mad we didn't get to Oh, speaking of Romeo Langford, how long does he stay as for? Um, they have a decision to make before the start of the regular season where um, they have Kata Bates' job on a non-guaranteed deal. They have Trey Jones and then everybody else is on guaranteed deals. And Langford is behind a lot of players in rotation. We even saw it in the opening night um, of preseason where, yes, he has a guaranteed contract, but I could just see them. You know, he, He's got so many other players in the, in the wings and, and guards that they want to give minutes to. So I don't know if he'll, he'll even make it um, past training camp if, if they're going to waive him. So they, they're going to have to waive someone on this roster uh, before the, the season starts. And Kata Bates' job, it looks like is, he is part of their plans because they haven't given him real minutes. And Coach Pop likes what he brings to the team on both ends of the floor. And there's no chance it's Gorgie Jang. I don't know. I mean, for them to to make it, make I think they want him for like a locker room presence. That 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 um that vet who's like kind of in the locker room, kind of showing them what to do, uh, you know, on and off the court. I feel like there was a reason why they went out and signed him in the offseason. Not he could have gone with any other you know t- title contender uh, this offseason, but again, they, they specifically brought him back and they liked what he what he what he brought the first time he was in San Antonio. I actually did, I have to ask you this question: like, when do you begin your deep dive into scouting Victor Wembanyama? Like, is this like already you've done it or? You and I are recording this, Tony. What is this? A uh, Tuesday? They're going to play the the victors playing against Scoot in that that um that preseason game, whatever right. he's talking about. So I'm going to watch that already. Like I I'm going to be addressing this every week on the Spurs cast. Like especially it's going to be it's going to be weird. Like when when they're playing and I'm, I'm like looking every week. I'm looking at the standings. I'm going to be kind of talking about you know the race for the for Wembanyama. Like we're going to have to talk about that every single week. I've seen you know if the Spurs win this game, you know did they lower their odds there? Like it's yeah the scouting's already starting now and and uh, yeah it's just gonna it's going to be interesting too. Like how do you for, for me, I was already noticing, too, in the, in the first preseason game, how do you talk about a team that the expectations are so low? And, like, you don't want to, like, you know, just say, say all the negatives about them because, right. you know, they're going to they're gonna get beat a lot. And so, for me, it's going to be, like, how do I focus more so on the, on the on the growth of the individual players more so than the team as a whole? Because that's going to be kind of the thing this year is kind of – even for us in the media kind of covering them, we know you know we don't want to say, oh, they're going to get blown up by 29. They're going to get blown up by 10 today. It's yeah. going to be different for us, too, of, of how we kind of provide um, the, the, um, the, the analysis of this team and, and how they're progressing this year. So I've actually, I should have asked you that because I've asked a lot of people who cover like the rebuilding squads. How do you go about like measuring progress um, aside from wins and losses? As in, as in, does it even go beyond at all just what you're seeing from the individuals? It's sort of looking at like how it comes together in the aggregate, like whether they have a discernible identity. But there's also a challenge there because we just talked about, well, they have to have this like speedball offensive identity because they, they're not built to do anything else. Exactly. No, no, you're right. And I think that's where it's going to be really come down to scouting. I mean, to seeing the, the individual player progression rather than the team stats. And, and again, just focusing on certain kind of categories and stats and seeing, you know, in, in the beginning of the season, maybe maybe like a mid- midway through how, how much have they grown in that area. Uh, and especially with with what the uh, team needs, it's going to be easier to see, like, like is Devin Vassell fitting that role as a half-court player? Is Keldon Johnson able to do that? Is Josh Primo? And so we'll be able to see a lot of that, how they're handling it um, from the start of the season up until, you know, whenever we, we take a, a benchmark of how they're doing. 
I'll be here for whatever content you put out, whether it's a tanking power rankings, which would probably be like a pretty good idea this season, perhaps, uh, <laughs> or just a deep dive into how the Spurs are progressing. Paul, this was great as always. For anyone who skipped the intro, are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you do? Yes, uh, I'm at Paul Garcia NBA on Twitter. My, my work is on ProjectSpurs.com. Um, we have we are the host of the Spurs cast. We also have a lot more video content coming out on YouTube on our Project Spurs Network TV account. So make sure you check those out if you have a chance. Um, thank you so much. And as you know, by now, I will be pestering you again in the future. Awesome, man. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. Good talking to you, Dan.